0: Good morning church. I just want to thank the musicians who faithfully practice on Saturday and come in early this morning, guys like Dave and John and the rest who are up here for serving our, our hearts with music and with word. Um, I know first service and second service I needed both of those times. be reminded that God is the great I am, and to know that um, Nothing but the blood of Jesus saves me and makes me whole. Um, I've been a student of the scriptures a long time, and I need to hear that every day. And I know God's people do too. I want to warn you, after second service, first service, I realize um, this particular message is a, a bit on the heavy side. And um, as I have been um, working through the different texts in our momentum, I mean, we've gone through this 48 days, praying for the next 48 years, of Parkway's life, um, asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say to your people um, to uh, unhinder them so that they can run the race uh, with a greater sense of freedom, power, and passion? And, and this morning is a, is a bit heavy, but I believe it strikes a, 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 a place where God's people are chained up. Maybe not everybody, but I, I think it has something to say to us this morning. So I, I hope, having said that, you won't be turned off by the... Um, by the heaviness, I, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, speak to me this morning, because I believe he, he is going to, um, based upon what he's laid in my heart and mind. Um, with that in mind, let me, uh, am I echoing or something weird? Oh, awesome. Thanks, John. Let me pray. Father in heaven, it is, um, it is in the name of Jesus that I, I call upon you to powerfully and personally speak through your word, through these lips to those who are gathered here this morning. Lord, we know that you're alive and you're in this room. We know that your Holy Spirit still speaks, speaks through your word and speak, speaks through people. And I'm asking for the grace to be able to speak forth on be, your behalf to your people. And, and I pray you, you would be at work in the hearts of those gathered here to be softened and to be willing to hear what the Spirit says to each person here. Lord, I know you love them, and there is, um, there is no end to that love. And yet, that love that you have for us sometimes does difficult things in our lives in order to bring new life and to scrape away the dross and the things that so easily keep us from fully living for you. And I pray that you do that this morning, as painful as it may be, and, um, and that you would allow me to just be a vessel in whom and through whom you use to love your people this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You come into uh, the kitchen, and um, you see the cookie jar, and the lid is off, and you have told your children, um, under no circumstances are you to take cookies out of the cookie jar, but you find the cookie jar lid is open, and the cookie is missing, and and there's this trail of crumbs. And you follow that trail of crumbs, and and you make your way into the living room, and there is your five-year-old child. Cookie's gone, but there's chocolate all over his face. And you say, Johnny, did you eat the cookie? And that child will almost every time say, if he knows he's wrong, no, I didn't eat the cookie. Despite the fact that there's a trail of crumbs that leads right to him and chocolate all over his face, face, Because he wants to hide that moment. He wants to hide his disobedience behind a lie. Now, that's not something you have to teach a kid. The kid instinctively knows it because that kid is fallen. And that is um, a natural, instinctive response of our fallen humanity when we blow it to hide and to cover ourselves. There are probably, not to point out any particular sin, but I will for sake of argument. There are probably some men in this room who um, nurture a secret addiction to pornography, which is something that's massively infecting our men. And, um, And you're doing your best to hide it because you're afraid of what your wife might think or what others might think if you were just to be honest with someone and say, this is a massive struggle of mine. And so you keep it hidden. Young woman finds herself pregnant. she goes to church. totally different sin and uh, as a result of some some bad mistakes and choices, find herself pregnant pastor 's daughter and fearful of the shame that she will experience if she allows that baby to come to terms, she either aborts it or withdraws from her family so that she can have the baby and, and, and give it off to adoption she 's covered her. Offense, at least in some sense, covered, and she's hidden her shame. Now, it doesn't make a difference what the particular moral failure is, big or small. Um, That is our fundamental instinct is to hide and cover, even in the church. um, Because we're afraid of what others might think of us. We're afraid of being judged, afraid of being condemned. And that's not just true in terms of us being the ones who cause the problem. But it's also possible for someone to be sinned against and therefore feel shame. That is, people sometimes feel shame not because they did anything wrong, but the person that they loved did them wrong. Think of somebody who has been molested and and the dirtiness that they feel and the sense of shame that they feel. Um, Even though it may be a false sense of guilt, they don't want to say anything even though they're not the ones who have sinned. And that hiding and self-covering that we instinctively do, goes contrary to freedom. And I believe it can be a massive hang-up in God's church when we take that approach. That's the instinctive fallen approach to hide and to cover. And I really believe that the Lord led me to address that this morning. Like, how is it that we as God's people can, can deal with failure, and like it or not, we all fail at different degrees, and different levels, and different times. How is it we deal with it in a redemptive, freeing way, rather than in a way that creates personal, spiritual, um, relational damage. Because that's what happens when you hide and when you self-cover. Well, the text that, that, that the Lord led me to um, was on day 24, John chapter 4. And most of you know that, that story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. Now, I'm not going to unpack the whole story. I just want to look at a little piece of the story that I think deals with this particular question, okay? That's John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. But for those who don't know the story, let me just give you the gist of what comes before it. Jesus comes to Samaria. He's thirsty. He stops by a well. He meets a Samaritan woman, and because he's thirsty, he asks for for a drink. The disciples are away getting some food at a local, I don't know, kitchen or something, and he's with them, and, and in this, this discussion with this woman, he asks her for water, and, and, uh, and eventually he turns around and says, listen, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink, because I, what I have is living water, and it'll bubble up into your soul, into eternal life, um, and you'll never be thirsty again, and Jesus was taking this opportunity where there was um, a need for physical water to talk about the need for something far deeper and far more satisfying, and that is the spiritual water of God's presence or his Holy Spirit. And that's the first part of the story. And uh, after he talks to her this way, she does not get the picture. She still thinks it's physical water. She says, give me this to drink because I don't want to ever come to this well again and have to do the hard work of, of drawing water and, and drinking over and over and over again. I want the kind of water that I'll never be thirsty again. And, um, and it's at this point that, the, that Jesus does something unexpected if you're not Well, if you were to read this for the first time for yourself, this is what he says to her. The strange request, he says, verse 16, go, call your husband, and come here. Now, he's making the statement, knowing full well that she's not married, as you'll find um, in verse 18. The woman answered him, 'I, I have no husband, as she's saying, I'm single. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, And the one you have, uh, the one you now have is not your husband. Uh, What you have said is true. That little exchange is is rather enlightening as to how we sometimes hide ourselves. You know, Jesus says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband, which technically speaking is true. And technically speaking, is not wrong. I'm single. And then Jesus basically says, listen, you may be technically single, but I see who you are. And then he goes on in, you know, verse 8 to kind of pull back the veil to say, I know your past failures and your present failure. You've had five husbands. You've been married five times, and the guy you're shacked up with right now is not your husband. Like in this one moment, he has just identified, revealed to her, exposed her, her massive past failures and her present one. Marriage isn't a modern problem. It's an an eternal problem as far as, as long as there's been sin in the world, it's been hard. This woman has been married five times. That's like, that's something that should make, you know, one of those Hollywood shows. Five times this woman's been married and hasn't made it work. Five failures. And then, of course, she's living with somebody at this point, which the Bible calls fornication. She's living in sin. There's no way, shape, or form about it. That's a sin. So he has just identified her sin. Now, it it is interesting to me that that her first response, technically speaking, is true, but behind the technical truth, she hides a whole wealth of failure. And we we do that today, too. Um, We have a way of hiding ourselves behind technical truths. Um, I, I became a master at this in high school with my parents and with teachers, where what you say technically is true, but it hides something. My best friend in high school was a guy by the name of Walter. I called him Wally. He called me Deck, D-E-C-K, short for Deckard. And we decided that one evening there was a practice on our, our local high school. It's out in kind of rural uh, Newcastle, Loomis area. And uh, we decided we are going to light off a rather large firework. Now, if I did this, if someone did this today in RMO, you'd get arrested and sent to juvie for I don't know how long. But we, took, we smuggled in this firework, and, and he bought it, and I lit it. And it went off just as the teacher's instructor arrived. But, but we had a long enough fuse that uh, we were able to get away from it before he arrived. So the thing blows up. I saw the flash in his, his glasses as he pulled into the school. And he gets out of the car, and he, he knew that it was probably one of two people, or maybe both, and it was me and Wally. And so he called us. He says, did you guys do this? And being... A good Christian boy who didn't want to technically lie, both of us, oddly enough, he's a missionary now and I'm a pastor, um, <laughs> said, we, can, we, we had the scheme, a hasty defense. He said, did you guys do this? Well, the firework wasn't mine. So I said, hey, listen, that wasn't my firework. My friend Wally, who owned the firework, he didn't light it. He said, I don't light it. So technically speaking, I was being truthful. It wasn't my firework. I'm telling the truth. I didn't like it, both hiding the fact that we were moral failures underneath this technical lie. We still do that. Accountability partners and what we share with each other is like, technically speaking, I didn't have trouble today as of the last five minutes, but if you were to look beyond that, yeah, there's problems. Well, that's what she does. She hides behind the technical truth, her failures. Same kind of thing she's hiding. Now, why is it that Jesus takes the time at this point to go ahead? I mean, he could have just left it at that. He says, no, you, you have five husbands. You've had five failures, and, and now you're living in sin. Why does Jesus do this? And if, if I may, I, I, I'd like to answer that question by going back to the beginning of the Bible and just jumping to two places, and then I want to come back here. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll follow because I think you'll see exactly why he does it and the need for it, all right? To answer that question, let's go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. And you know the basic story. I'm not going to belabor it, but you know, God says, you know, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, they violate that single command. They only had one rule they had to keep, but they violated, they took it. And Genesis record- records their response to their failure. Now, I want you to keep three concepts in mind here, and I want you to hold them in your head. One is the idea or concept of self-covering. That is when we cover or hide ourselves. We're the subject of the verb and the object. We hide ourselves. Second concept is that of exposure, of having failure revealed, brought out into the light. Exposure. And the third one, in contrast to self-covering, is divine covering, that God covers. Those you're going to see are two very different coverings with two very different results. So with those three concepts in mind, self-covering, exposure, and God-covering, or divine covering, look at their response. Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they, they knew that they were naked. And naked, it wasn't simply a fact of them being unnatural. natural. Um, it's a fact that there was an association of nakedness with guilt, shame, sin. All right? I'm going to come back to talk about that in a second. But that's, that's what nakedness was associated with. So they saw that they were dirty, and they were, they were shamed, and they felt um, um, unworthy. And, and, and all of those feelings you feel with guilt. And as a result of it, it says in the middle of verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. So they're making coverings for themselves to hide what is associated with guilt and sin. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord, of Yahweh, uh, God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. Now this is tragic. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They, they withdrew from the most blessed reward of all times. That is God's presence. They're pulling away, hiding themselves in the garden. Verse 9. But the Lord called to man and said to him, Where are you? God fully knows where they are. But I believe that God is intent on not only pursuing his people, which he's going to do through the rest of the Bible, but on exposing their sin and also the hope of redemption. Where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you, this is Adam, um, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I, I hid myself. I is the subject, hid myself. That is self-covering. Now, you notice what that does, the, the, the hiding and self-covering. It, it naturally creates relational isolation and separation. I mean, Adam's covering himself up. Not just from God, but from Eve too, and Eve from Adam, and then both from the Lord. There's this relational um, isolation and separation that takes place as a result of that self-covering. You follow? In other words, it it moves opposite of healthy, honest, loving, self-giving relationship where people give to each other or are honest to each other. This is tearing apart the relationship. That's the effect that this self-covering has. Not just on Adam and Eve, but on us too. The same kind of isolating, separating um, results happen when we try to hide and and self-cover. And if you don't think so, I don't know if any of you have had an alcoholic um, friend or, or, or family member in which you see them retreating from family functions and they're not hanging out with their friends anymore, you know something's wrong. Why? Because they're trying to hide and they're pulling away from the relationships that probably are the most important and the most rich. That's what happens when we self-cover. Now, as the story goes on, you know, God in- initiates an interrogation. He not only pursues them, says, hey, where are you? But once he has them, he starts to ask questions. W- w- what have you done? And there's this, you know, finger-pointing and blame going on. And first he asks Adam and Adam, Eve, and then Eve, the serpent. And by the, by the time it's all said and done through this interrogation, it becomes clear that they're guilty. That is, in a manner of speaking, God has exposed their guilt. But not because he's mean. But because God is intending on covering it. And you can't cover it unless it's first exposed. You can't accurately deal with an infected wound unless you first open it. And so that's what he does. He he basically opens it through this dialogue. And then, by the time you get to the end of chapter 3, this is what you read. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife, the serpent doesn't get squat, for his wife, garments of skins and clothe them. The first part, they're trying to self clothe and hide themselves, which doesn't work, relational isolation and separation. And here the Lord comes graciously after he's exposed the fact that you're guilty. And he comes and he makes, this is God covering, this is divine initiation of, I'm going to give you something to cover up that which is associated with guilt and with sinfulness. Um, The skins of animals, which of course implies that blood was spilt, that someone gave a life in order for them to be covered. Uh, A theme that is really powerful all the way through scripture and climaxes at the cross. Um, But God is the one who's covering it at the expense of the death of another so here you have these, these kind of three pieces. You see it in Genesis 3. There's self-covering, which goes negative, And then there's exposure, which leads to covering. But not covering, self-covering, but God-covering. Now, with those three things in mind from Genesis and how the negative self-covering affects us, track with me here. Let's jump to King David in Psalm 32. I have it. Um, it'll be behind me on the screen if you can't flip that fast, or you've never won a sword drill in your life. You can just look up here. You're going to see those same three things come, come to mind. David said, blessed is the one. This is a psalm of penitence. And he wrote it out of his own experience when he hid himself and then dealt with it appropriately. And then he wanted to tell us about it, which is why the psalm exists. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There's a word, covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Deceit, at the end of verse 2, must mean not keeping it hidden. Comes out with it. Verse 3, 4. This is David looking back on his own experience when he was in the cave and concealed. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by by the heat of summer. Verse 5 changes, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Again, those, those three things, verses 3 and 4, tells us about that inward experience when you keep it hidden, and you're doing the self-covering thing. And it's grizzly. And anybody who's ever struggled with sin, at some level, knows what it's like when you keep something hidden. It's like when I, for when I kept silent, when, that is when I was hiding it. My bones wasted away within me through my groaning all day long. There's this sense of inner wasting, of pain, of groaning, this inner agony and um, torment that you feel here. In addition to that, he says, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Your hand, God's hand, was pressing down on him. Now, a believer has a really difficult time living in sin. Because you know what? God's hand comes down, and I think what it means is it's coming down on the conscience of the believer, and there's a sense of swelling, intensifying guilt that just makes you miserable. Anybody ever felt that before? I have. Your hand is pressing down heavily upon me. It's guilt. Anybody ever read, um, it's kind of a dark story, but Edgar Allan Poe's uh, Tale of the Heart? Edgar Allan Poe is kind of like the Stephen King of back then. And and, uh, anyway, I had to read a short story one time of his called Tale of the Heart, A Telltale Heart. And um, I liked it. It was dark. Maybe that says something about me. But uh, there's this, uh, this guy that hates this old man, and so he kills him. And then to dispose of the body, he buries it under his house. Actually, under his table, I think, under the house. And after this murder, he starts to hear a heartbeat. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. He's like, and he's... And it's coming from the floorboards of his house. Boom, boom. It's getting louder and louder. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. So he exhumes uh, the body and, and proceeds to, now this is sick, but he dismembers it and puts it back. Covers it over with planks, thinking, I got it covered. Pretty soon the heartbeat comes back. Boom, boom. It gets louder and louder and louder. And so there's a there's a knock at the front door, and, and he goes to the front door to the police officers. Meanwhile, he's hearing this boom, boom. But there's this heartbeat going on underneath his house. And he's totally freaked out because he thinks the police officers can hear it. Well, he invites them in, as you would, and maybe not do, I don't know. But he invites them in. They sit around the table and right over the place where this body is buried. And he continues to hear that heartbeat get louder and louder and louder. And the police officers are talking to each other like they don't hear anything. And he's sure that they're making fun of him and that they can hear it. And he's going to be, you know, accused and taken down to the clink. Finally, at the end, after his The heartbeat is just going boom, 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 so loud. He finally says, it's me, right there. Cops never heard anything. It was the sound of his own conscience beating. He couldn't handle it. And David's saying, your hand was heavy down upon me. I could feel the boom, 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 boom. That's God's way of saying, I'm going to press you lovingly until you break before me. And then that last part, you know, my strength was, was dried up as by the heat of summer, that he's completely exhausted. That's, that's what happens when you self-cover and you hide. That's Garden of Eden. That's Psalm 32. But then when he turns a corner and, he's, and God's hand actually breaks him, where he's like, okay, I give up. But his experience is, he's like, I acknowledge my sin to you. That's like, I, came out and and I just held out my hands and I said, it was me, Um, I'm the guilty one, no justification, I've sinned before you. That's it, I would confess my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. In any way, shape, or form, justification, justifying one's actions is a way of covering. It's like, I didn't cover it, I just came out into the open and I, 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 I acknowledged it to the Lord, I confessed it, I repented of it, I was broken in my heart. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. So he comes, he's being exposed by God's pressure. And look at the results, okay? We've seen the self-covering, verses 2 and 3. There is this um, exposure in verse 5. And then verse 6 and then 1 and 2 talks about the experience of it. As a result of him just coming out and and. And, and being exposed before the Lord, it says, and you forgave me. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. God, God said, now that my hand is done doing its work this way, you're pardoned. You're forgiven. Which is why then he, he writes so joyfully at the beginning. When one really knows that they're forgiven and covered, he said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Not by... Us, self-covering, but covered by the fact that God has forgiven me. And it's that experience of of being exposed and then knowing that God is forgiven and covered that, that allows him to experience many of the wonderful things that are expressed in this psalm. He's blessed. Blessed is the man. That's a word for happy and joyful. I'm joyful. The psalm ends with, be glad in the Lord, shout for joy. You know, that God surrounds him with shouts of deliverance. That's what he says. You've surrounded me with shouts of deliverance. That's that's what happens when one doesn't self-cover, but actually through the exposure process of God's heavy hand and his love, um, comes clean before the Lord and there is a renewal. There is refreshing. There is a new joy, a new fellowship with the Lord. His hand is no longer pressing down on you. It's actually refreshing you. Same three things, brothers and sisters. What happens with self-covering and what happens when There's exposure in God covers. Or if you want to put them side by side, you know, you ask yourself, you want to be door number one or door number two, door number one being the one on the left. You want to self-hide and cover. It leads to relational isolation with God and with each other, relational separation, internal agony, intense pressure from God on the conscience, and exhaustion. That sounds fun now, doesn't it? Just take door number one. That's how I want to live. Always exhausted, always feeling guilty, always feeling this internal agony and not being at one with people or most importantly, God. Or door number two, the results of allowing God to expose things and uncover things and then for him to cover. Forgiveness and blessing, restoration of joy, praise for God's merciful love. You see that in David. And the freedom to be publicly honest. The psalm was written to declare publicly by King David, I screwed up. I am a sinful person. I hid it for a while, but the Lord was heavy upon me, and I finally broke, and I came out and said, Lord, I did it. And the Lord renewed my joy and forgave me and, and assured me that I was covered. That is, he was able to be publicly honest about his life. And I think that's one of the things that when you experience that true covering and you come out, you're able to experience that freedom to be publicly honest, not divulge all details. David doesn't, he doesn't say what he did, he just says he was guilty. And you don't have to divulge every detail to be honest with people. Door number one, door number two. Well, here we come back to John 4. This woman has been covering layer upon layer of failed relationship after failed relationship after failed relationship, and now she's living with the guy. She, her life is a mess. What is it that Jesus is doing when he says to her, you're right, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he pulls back the veil. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how, as in the Garden of Eden, the presence of the Lord seeks after Adam and Eve? And asks them and, you know, exposes their sin that here the presence of Almighty God and the person of Jesus approaches this Samaritan woman whose life is, is, a, is, a, is layer upon layer of massive, massive failure. And he lovingly, yet accurately and gently, because he's very gentle with her, pulls back the veil and says, I see you. And I know who you really are. And he exposes her sinfulness. I think you understand why, based upon what we just saw, why he's doing this. It's not to hurt her. It's to heal her. It's so that she will experience release and freedom that Christ came to give us. When he covered our sin, not we, but he covered our sin. And you see the end of the story, you know, after this, after he kind of pulls the veil back, the Lord does something to her that I I don't think I ever quite saw before. Maybe I I know I read it before, but um, Jesus does something that he doesn't do with everybody, and that is he reveals himself to her. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, And this is a Samaritan woman with layer upon layer of failed relationships and living with a guy. He says, I who speak to you am he. That's amazing grace right there. That's amazing grace that Jesus would uncover this woman's past and then he'd say, I'm him. (laughs) And the rest of the story, which I don't have time to get into, you know, she basically so excited She runs back to her town, and she tells the people, hey, I think I found the Messiah. He told me everything I did. (laughs) He pulled out all my dirty laundry. (laughs) She's actually excited about it. And the townspeople hearing this are so flabbergasted that they come to find Jesus, and it says that they discovered that he was, or learned that he was the Savior of the world. That's a picture of a woman who's, who's met somebody that alters her life after he exposes I know that you're a sinner. And so here's the thing, is that before you can ever fully understand what Jesus came to do, you have to know your own personal deep need to have this thing covered not by us, but by him. You know? One final thing, and, and then I just want to say a word of application. As you know in the rest of, The Gospel of John will lead up to and everything has the cross in mind where Jesus will make the one and only covering that will ever cover anybody's sin. And the animal skin did not save Adam. That was just a way of saying, someday I'm going to provide for you blood that will cover. Nothing else can. But it's not by accident that Adam and Eve... God covered their nakedness. I physically covered their nakedness. It's not by accident that when Jesus was exposed to public humiliation, he was stripped naked. As a way of signifying that the shame and guilt of humanity he now experienced as he himself was exposed to public shame. On our behalf ah, it just blows me away, that he took our shame. And that's the, such the good news, that he took the shame, so you don't have to hide anymore because God has provided a covering and allowed him to just you to be free with him. The most direct application, if you're sitting here, s- s- some of you, perhaps just a few, could be really uncomfortable this morning because um, you're one of those people who has been living in the cave you felt that relational isolation from God and with other people you have felt that inner agony you felt the intensifying effects of of that sin upon your conscience and you feel exhausted infidelity some addiction I don't know you probably do I want you to feel uncomfortable this morning. I want you to hear the Spirit of God speaking to you personally, saying, it's time to come out of the cave. Because I want more for you than that. That's a shriveled up, little tiny life. Let Come out into the open and lay it before me and allow yourself to be broken as I broke David. And then allow me by my Holy Spirit to assure you it's covered and it's gone and I don't see it anymore. If you're one of those people, that's exactly what the Spirit says to you this morning. Come out of the cave because I want life and freedom and joy and blessing for you. Come out of the cave and be honest with me. And even perhaps... Also with that, maybe you need to talk to some people you've hurt and say, hey, I screwed up, and I'm sorry I hurt you. Or even do James, when it says, confess your sins one to another, finding a trustworthy person that you can just say, hey, I need to tell somebody in addition to the Lord. I believe that's what the Lord is saying most directly through this. These texts that we've read. So you're going to hear his voice. You're going to go through door number two or door number one. And I'm hoping you'll go through door number two and be honest before the Lord. And if you happen to be one of those people, not who have caused evil, but you have been a recipient of it, something shameful, and you feel that sense of guilt and shame and you've hit it, not because you've done anything wrong, but somebody did something wrong to you and you're in the cave. It's a dark and lonely place. And I know there are people here this morning who are in that place too, not because of your sin, but because of somebody else's, and it's twisted you. I think the same message is to you too. It's just like, come out of the cave, don't live in the prison of false guilt, and allow the blood of my son to heal you, and the truth of my son to heal you. That's his word to you. To those of us in here who may think, well, I don't have any big secret sin. May I encourage you, because one of the things the Lord is doing in breaking through in our lives is he is in the process of peeling back the onion. And just when you don't think that you have any more sins, (laughs) he's like, oh, Deckard, you got so much more. And then he exposes something. Actually, I hated this sermon this week because the Lord showed me something that is wrong in my life. It's a fear that I didn't know. I knew I had the fear. I just didn't know it was at that intense level. It has to do with my family. And I know it's a fear because it produces anxiety in my heart. And the Lord said to me, preparing this very message, it's like, dang it, Lord, why did you have to do this? And he said, you don't trust me with them, do you? Which is why you're anxious. And I honestly had to say, you know, I don't. I want you, though. And I don't want to live in the fear of that. And, and living with that kind of faithless fear is a sin. And it brings it out. And, and I trust, because the Lord loves me, that he's working that way in me. And so you can anticipate if you're a follower of Christ and you want to grow. And he is going to bring those things to light. And what do you do then? Do you hide them? Or are you going to say, all right, Lord, you brought it. But I know that it's because you're going to heal and cover. And bring me to a new place, a new step, a new vista of your grace. Do you have the courage this morning, if you're one of those people who don't have some big secret sin, to just pray, Lord, if there's something that's hindering me, bring it to light. And as painful as it is, I want you more than I want to hide that. It takes a lot of courage to pray that prayer. And then with that, and perhaps the most important thing of all, it is not perhaps, it is the most important thing of all, to trust that when God says it's covered because of what he did, he's the coverer, that it's covered completely. It's not squeaking out the edges. It's not semi-transparent where you can still see it. It's blotted out. And that we as God's people, as we live in honest confession and repentance, which is what the Christian life is about, you never stop doing that, just being honest with the Lord then we are not defined by our failures as much as we're not defined by our successes, but we're defined by the simple fact that we're covered by the blood of the Lamb, sons and daughters of God, and we can have the freedom to be who we are. So let me ask you if you'd be willing right now to just close your eyes and bow your head for a minute. I just want to ask you a couple questions, and I want you to deal with the Lord in response to this this morning. First, To those living in the cave, the Lord knows where you are and he sees you. And the Lord is someone who loved us while we're still in the cave, still in our transgressions. (laughs) Will you this morning be willing to just come out before him, out of the cave, and experience the new, refreshing gift of his fellowship and his renewed affirmation of his forgiveness of your sins. I, I pray, Lord, please give him the courage this morning. May this be one of those major turning points that brings some out of the cave. And the others of us in here... Do you have the courage to just pray, Lord, I want you more than I want my comfort. And will you continue your work of, of sanctifying my life, of of removing those hindrances that keep me from fully experiencing, surrendering, and following, enjoying you? Just pray that if if you're honest and sincere about it. I wouldn't pray that prayer if you're not sincere. Because God will answer it, and it will probably hurt, but it will lead to a wonderful joy of a renewed understanding of God's grace in your life. So right now, it's between you and God. This is the moment, right here, right now. Whether it's a pride, a fear, disbelief. once you've talked with him, if you had the courage to pray the prayer or just say, Lord, I want to come out of the cave, I encourage you to join us in this final song as a prayer. The one person we need, the one thing we need, is the Lord. Final song. May God, in His kindness, grant us repentance that leads to Christ.